Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Starts now. Welcome to Wednesday, or as I like to call it, uh, day three of Broken Footgate. Yes, my foot is still broken. I'm still hobbling around, but um, but I can't not do this show. So uh, I hobble and hobble and hobble to get here to bring you like crazy stuff that keeps happening. Um, and you just, you know what? Foot or no foot, uh, got to be here because Chad Daybell hoofed it. See what I did there? Hoofed it into court today in Idaho. And I've got news for you. You're going to see what happens in his trial. Why is that a big deal, you ask? Good question. Because in Lori Daybell's trial, uh, we couldn't see it. There were no cameras allowed. And now the judge has decided, and this came out today in the hearing, that we will be able to watch Chad Daybell's trial. Couple of hitches. None of them I appreciate. I will explain to you what they are in just a moment. But here he was in court, field trip day. And that wasn't the only thing either. Death penalty was on the table. Um, surprise, Chad Dable doesn't want the death penalty in his case. And the motion today was, hey, it isn't fair. What do you think the judge and the prosecution said to that? I will tell you that as well. And then he also doesn't like where he is. He thinks that they should change the venue of his case. He says, we're not going to get the right jurors here. We need to change the venue. Now, what do you suppose the answer was to that? You're going to find out. You'll also hear some reaction from his dead wife's aunt. She's going to join me exclusively in just a few moments to let you know what she thinks about some of the things Chad Daybell wants in his upcoming trial. And then also, small town America. I love it. I love it. Part of my life, I grew up in a small town, center of Canada, very, very small. Um, but it, it was like 11,000 people, considered very small. But imagine living in a town of like 300, right? You know everybody, and you know everybody's everything. Like 300, Everybody knows everybody's business, and that's a safe place to be. Or is it? Because I'm about to take you to a small town in Indiana where a missing girl has just been found dead a 100 yards from her back door. So why was she missing for six months? And about that neighbor who happened to be her boss, what about that guy driving her vehicle the day she disappeared? whispering sweet nothings about taking a 17-year-old kid on a lunch date. Why did it take six months in a small town of 300 people? And by the way, why is that not a safe place to be? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then also, um, I have shown you this video that's just so upsetting a couple of different times. It's a, a teacher's aide in Florida 
being beaten within an inch of her life by an autistic student, but I mean a big, big autistic student, like 6'6", 270. He pleaded no contest to this. This happened back in February, and he's going to get sentenced for it in grown-up uh, court and you know maybe go to grown-up prison. And before you say, well, they, yeah, he should. He's, he's 17. He should. Think about this for a minute. He is an autistic student. There's a whole lot about this kid that we don't know. And his mom is joining me exclusively tonight to tell us how all of this is so awful. And it was so unnecessary had the school just followed the rules of his individual education program, which is what special needs kids have. They are supposed to follow the rules of those programs. You're going to hear this mom talk about her son, whom she adopted, and all of the autistic issues they've been dealing with, and why one thing, one thing could have precluded all of that. You're going to hear that all in just a moment. Let's start in Idaho, though, shall we? Because Idaho, I mean, so much has happened in Idaho in the last year with the, the student murders at the University of Idaho in Moscow. And then in the last four years with the murder of Lori Vallow's two kids. And that case isn't over yet, even though she was found guilty. Back in August of 2021, after her husband, Chad Daybell, was also arrested and charged with the murder of his first wife, Tammy, and the murders of both of Lori's kids, Chad made a big, big decision about his future. He decided to waive his right to a speedy trial. But that second wife of his, Lori Vallow, better known as the doomsday cult mom, she did not do that. She did not do the same thing. And she decided to have a speedy trial. But it did not turn out the way she was hoping it would turn out. No, Lori Vallow is now sitting in a cell, locked up for life for those same murders that Chad is going to face. Um, Chad's trial, because it is not speedy, has yet to start. But I want you to mark your calendars for April 1st of next year. Because April Fool's Day will be a very sober day for Chad Daybell. No jokes on the day that his triple murder trial is scheduled to start. Before that, though, he gets to take the odd field trip to the courthouse now and then. And that would be exciting if you're locked up. <laughs> Bored AF. Um, so he goes there for hearings that deal with like the problems and the issues before his trial. And today he packed up for one of those trips. And there were several important motions that were on his docket, including cameras in the courtroom. Also a motion to strike the death penalty and a motion to change the venue. And so he shuffled into the courtroom, got to wear a tie and a nice shirt. But he still had the shackles around his ankles and had the handcuffs. Still got treated like an inmate. He had a couple of his questions answered, and some actually were answered in his favor. For starters, the prosecutors did not want cameras in the courtroom, just like Lori. You know, they argued that in his wife Lori Vallow's case, any prospective jurors who'd seen the media coverage before the trial were automatically cut from the jury pool. And the prosecutor said they expect this is going to be an issue again for Chad. They also say they're worried about the camera's effect on the witnesses. But Chad Daybell's team said something else. They said just go ahead and let those cameras in. Primarily so that his own family can watch from afar and avoid the, the big circus that is undoubtedly going to happen at the courthouse. Uh, they also argued that cameras keep everybody 
honest. It's that transparency thing. And honest to God, folks, this might be the one thing that Chad Daybell and I, Ashley Banfield, agree upon. And maybe you too. Cameras in the courtroom. It's a good thing. You get to see and hear everything the way it actually happens without someone else's filter. Uh, have a listen to what was said about this in the courtroom today. Part of the reason behind a public trial judge is accountability. And that's a big overriding factor. And when you're talking about due process and people having a fair right to a public trial, accountability is important. And as much as I don't like the idea of being on live TV, national TV, and I, I, I don't like the idea of it at all, um, the reality is it keeps everybody honest. It keeps the system honest. It keeps the witnesses honest. It keeps everybody honest. The court agreed with that, too, and the judge actually plans to allow a live stream of the proceedings. And that is great. I mean, especially compared to Lori and the nothing that we got there. Uh, Here's the thing I, I don't like, though. The court is going to be in control of all the broadcasting gear and the equipment And um, I've been in this business for a long time, and I can tell you, honestly, courts are not quite as skilled in that department as media pool cameras are. And media pool cameras are very, very professional. They do an excellent job. So with the court in control, uh, who knows what we're actually going to see and hear. Or if there will be times you don't see and hear anything, or you'll be looking at someone's shoe, or the mics aren't working. Because they're not professionals at this. They're professionals in court stuff. Also, the court has decided that uh, it doesn't want to allow any still photographers, no photos. I don't really get that, but okay, that's the decision. But there was something else in front of this judge today. It was a motion to move the trial from Ada County, that's where Lori's trial was held, um, move it back to Fremont County. Prosecution wants this. They seem to think that they're going to have a better time seating a jury there. But Chad Daybell's team disagreed arguing that the Ada County population would yield uh, different jurors. No decision yet on that, but stay tuned because I always think, man, with the Internet, does it really matter? I mean, you can move people to Mars and you just know all those headlines no matter what. A couple counties over, really? So the biggest kahuna, though, that was on the docket today was, you guessed it, was the death penalty It makes perfect sense why Chad Daybell doesn't want the death penalty on the table because, well, he could end up dead after all of this is said and done. His team is arguing that since he and his blushing bride, Lori, were charged with the very same stuff, very same crimes, very same charges, it would be unconstitutional for them to face different levels of punishment. I get that until you hear why it's so important to point out the following. The reason why Lori Vello didn't face the death penalty was a technicality. It was just a simple screw up. Death was dropped because of discovery violations on the part of the prosecutors, violations that just couldn't be remedied in time. In time. Because Lori, wait for it, Lori did not waive her right to a speedy trial. Chad did waive his right to a speedy trial. Lori wanted a quickie. It turned out Lori's quickie was a very lucky move for her. 
And as it happens, when the judge actually made that ruling, dropping the death penalty from Lori's case, he said it would not affect Chad's case at all. He said it back then in real time. And then just for good measure, today, the judge reiterated that very same argument again today. But his final decision on the death aspect of this case is still pending. So, as I like to say, watch this space. I want to bring in News Nation's national correspondent, Alex Capriello. He's standing by with all the details. So let's start with the cameras. Um, it is a big deal, but I don't understand why the court is making it a bigger deal than it needs to be, saying that they want to control the electronics. What, what is the, what's the problem with a pool camera operated by a professional? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Obviously, when you have professionals that are in charge of it, they have the best shots, the clearest shots. We get to actually see visuals inside the courtroom that a Zoom wide shot doesn't necessarily uh, actually capture. Uh, obviously, this rings true to a different, very high-profile Idaho court case. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about Brian Koberger. You remember similar arguments are being made in that case, too, right? In those hearings, they're talking about the fact that the pool camera uh, is having too many clothes close-ups of Brian Koberger's face, and the defense is getting really ornery about that, feeling like it's painting their client in a bad light. And so the similar could be said in this trial, in this upcoming trial, right? If, if uh, you know, they don't want certain shots of the defense, of the attorneys, of the defendant, uh, then, you know, obviously a courtroom camera will prevent any of those arguments from happening, any of those disruptions from occurring. Obviously, I was there inside the courtroom during the Lori Vallow trial. Uh, that was not there were no cameras inside that, but although they did have a closed circuit camera that fed to both family that was in East Idaho as well as to a different room for other media to watch. And so it's not a terrible system in Ada County. I've seen it with my own eyes, but at the same time, it's just nothing <coughs> like having a professional in there. <coughs> Pardon me for this. Um, what was the business about not making consistent arguments between the two trials? Yeah, this was another motion that was heard. And basically, the thought process is this. With Lori Vallow's trial uh, already... Uh, here and gone, uh, the the prosecution making the case that Lori Vallow was the mastermind behind these crimes. Well, then when Chad Daybell's time in court comes, you can't just go ahead and flip the script and say Chad Daybell was uh, the person, the, the spearhead of these terrible things that have happened to these two children and Tammy Daybell. And so basically, this is all about consistency, trying to ensure that the prosecution is staying consistent with its arguments, uh, that these are two co-conspirators. At the same time, it was a moot point because the judge at today said that there was no evidence to suggest that the prosecution is going to flip the script in any way. And for that reason, there's no grounds to grant that motion today. Sorry for the coughing fit, Alex. It has nothing to do with the broken foot. It's just that all things all right. at once. Um, but I do <laughs> want to ask you about this business. I thought they might rule on the death penalty today. I don't I don't really get it. Why the judge is sort of saying, well, you know, take it under advisement and, and read into it a little more. It seems pretty simple to me. I mean, all I can say is that it's a huge decision, right, whether or not someone ends up dying for their crimes. And so the judge is taking his time. He's, he wants to weigh the arguments, sit on it for a little bit. He may come out with a written decision that says yay or nay, or he may just push it all the way down the road and say it's up for a jury to actually decide after hearing all the arguments. Either way, judge, uh, the judge is taking his time, uh, is going to think it over, uh, and he'll come out with a written decision soon. Okay, Ada County versus Fremont County. Is there really such a significant difference? Like, why is there such a, a hue and a cry over this, this change of venue? 
Yeah, and I was hearing your arguments earlier today. I agree. Both Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell's stories have been told across the nation for several years now. So it's already going to be hard to find anyone that hasn't at least heard a glimmer of this. What I can tell you, though, from actually being in Fremont County, going to Rexburg myself and actually walking the land, is that everybody in that area knows who Chad Daybell is. So it is like very hard in my, in my imagination that to find anyone there that is not certainly at least knowing who the Daybells were, who Chad Daybell is and his story. In Ada County, of course, it's a larger county. It's the home of Boise. Um, and so you would think that it would be a little bit easier to find an unbiased pool. But at the same time, the big cities have the big news. So uh, either way, it's going to be tough, I imagine, to sit a jury. But no doubt in my mind, uh, Ada is the likely and the right choice here. There's just more to uh, more people out there, not to mention a larger courthouse. This is such a high profile case and it's going to be such a high profile trial uh, that they're going to need all the room that they can get in the largest pool possible to find the best jury. That's a great point. Alice Capriello, thanks so much for doing the job for us today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ashley. Joining me now in an exclusive interview is Vicki Hoban. She is the aunt of Tammy Daybell, whom Chad is accused of murdering. Vicki is speaking for the first time since the hearing. Um, Ms. Hoban, thank you again for, for coming back to, to speak with us on, on the program. You know, every time there's one of these hearings, I, I wonder what it's like for you. I mean, for us, we sort of catch up on the case, but for you, you live it. Um. Hi, Ashley. It's nice to be back again. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, for us as a family, I think um, we're, you know, obviously we're all watching it and we're at the, you know, um, we're waiting for the judge. We're, we're waiting to hear the arguments. I think um, most of all is that, you know, uh, we're just, we really wanted the um, the trial to be televised because, uh, we do have people in our family um, that are uh, disabled that aren't going to be able to make the trip that were not able to go last time. We have teachers in our family that can't leave in the middle of the school year. So I, all, when all these come, things come into play where, you know, they're incumbent upon the judge's decision, um, yeah, we're very invested. And uh, we just we would like everybody to be able to hear the truth uh, coming from the uh, mouth of babes, sort of uh, in a way to say it, just from each witness. Um, you know, uh, there were only a couple of us that went from the family last time. It just it didn't work out. People got sick. Uh, Tammy's folks were uh, they're older. Um, this my sister has passed, but uh, her dad is um, going to be able to see the trial now. So this is going to be uh, really great for him to be able to actually be present and to hear the witnesses and to really get the full picture of everything. It's just different than reading it. Uh, it doesn't carry the sure. impact. It's, you know, hearing it. Yeah, come it's from not the same. Now. No. Yeah, so it's I, not. I do want to ask you, um, Pardon me for interrupting. I wanted to ask you, Vicki, about, you know, the death penalty was again in debate today in that uh, courtroom. And, you know, Chad has adult children um, that have stood by him, despite the fact that he is charged with killing their, their mother. And as evidence comes to light, certainly through Lori's trial, I just wonder how that's changed and how they feel about the death penalty argument and about their dad. Do you have any more wisdom on that? 
You know, that's not something that we talk to his kids about. Um, I, I personally uh, keep have, uh, you know, more social media contact with uh, some of the kids. And that isn't something that I would ever bring up. I, I always, my, um, my feeling is that I think this is going to be good for them as well to hear um, the testimony from the people that were involved. I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't know where they've gotten their, all their information. I think for the most part, they've gotten it from their dad. And I think this is going to be a good thing if they watch it. Uh, it's just like everybody else. I think whenever you are hearing the truth uh, from someone's own mouth, you are going to be able to make that judgment on your own. So I think it's going to be good for them. I hope they do watch it. And I think it's going to be terribly painful for them. And I, you know, as Tammy's aunt, and um, I just, I, I don't want uh, them to be caused any more pain than what they've already been caused. But I think it would be a positive thing for them, to be honest. It's, Vicki, it does sound like there might be a fracture between the family members on how they feel about Chad's involvement. Is Am I onto something here? Well, I, I think every, you know, they are their dad's children. I mean, I, I have never wanted to judge them for the way that they have behaved through any of this because uh, Tammy loved her children. They were her whole world. And uh, no matter what they believe or think or, um, or feel, I don't want that to be um, something that um, they're penalized for. They've already lost their mom. I don't blame them for not wanting to lose their dad. I don't know that they know what to do. I don't know that I would know what to do. Um, I don't. The rest of the family, I think, is pretty much on the same page. Um, and as far as the death penalty, I think there's some that really, you know, are adamant and they want it. And I think the others are, um, you know, as long as the price is paid, it's paid and whatever that is. And, you know, I don't think it, it's not going to bring her back. And I think we've all come to terms with that. Um, and so whatever happens, uh, you know, we trust the judge and we trust the jurors. We trust the uh, prosecutors. Um, yeah, we just we're 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 lending our, our, our faith over to those people that are actually going to be in charge of this. And we trust them. Yeah. This is a really tight spot to be in, and I, um, I don't envy you. My thoughts and prayers are certainly with you and your family. Vicki, thank you so much for being on tonight. Really appreciate I, it. Um, would you mind if I mention Tammy's Foundation? At uh, this time of year, yeah, it's Christmas, and a lot of folks are looking for ways to give. And uh, as you know, she was a librarian, and um, her foundation is the Tammy Daybell Foundation. And um, they take donations um, every day, and they are. This is a great time of year to donate if you want to help. It's getting books into the hands of kids that uh, either couldn't get them or schools that have a hard time funding. And um, they do a lot of good work. So if, if there's anybody, it's a great that would, way to honor. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great way to honor her memory, uh, Tammy Daybell Foundation. Vicki Hoban, thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. And coming up next, a teacher's aide is beaten within inches of her life by a 17-year-old autistic student. Tonight, that student is facing up to 30 years in adult prison for aggravated battery. But his mother says none of this would have happened 
had the school only followed its own protocol for her son's special needs. She is here with me for an exclusive interview, and it's next. Ask anybody why they moved from a big city to a small town, and you'll get a long list of good reasons. And high on that list is safety. Small towns are just safer, right? Everybody knows everybody. Your neighbors have your back and authority figures like your boss, you know, for instance. They've got your best interests at heart. Sheena Sandifer and her 17-year-old daughter, Valerie Tyndall, moved from Indianapolis to a very small town on the outskirts called Arlington. Population 300, give or take a few. Uh, they moved because, Sheena said, uh, they wanted to get away from violence. But violence found them anyway. Yesterday, Valerie's body was found stuffed in a barrel and buried under the rubble in her next-door neighbor's backyard. Valerie had been missing for almost six months, since June 7th, and the search had been a daily effort for the police as well as the FBI. But in the end, she was found less than 100 yards from her own back door. And just as shocking, the neighbor, now charged with Valerie's murder, is 59-year-old Patrick Scott. That's him there. He had also been Valerie's boss in a lawn care business where the teenager was working some extra hours after school. Patrick Scott had been on law enforcement's radar for a bit. He was the last person seen with Valerie the day she disappeared and allegedly couldn't keep his story straight about that encounter. But that only brought him a charge of providing false information to the police, not murder. Not then, anyway. In a bizarre move early on, he also burned down his own garage at 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's where police finally found the barrel, in the ruins of that burned-down garage. They had already searched his property, his property at least one time before, uh, focusing on a pond that was out back, but they came up with nothing. And they wanted to know why Patrick Scott was tracking Valerie's cell phone. He said it was for work, but both Valerie and her mom thought that was weird, understandably. She's 17. I'm joined now by Gigi McKelvey. She is the host of the very popular podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. So many red flags, Gigi. So many red flags. Why did it take six months to find that body? Beads me because, I mean, you had all the signs there. It seemed everything he didn't do was leave his name scribbled in somewhere at the crime scene. I mean, he did everything wrong. You found the barrel under the rubble of garbage. I mean, that was burned down at 2 a.m. Who does that? He was the last person seen with her, last seen driving her car, overheard, somebody overheard about him taking her to a special lunch. All these things very odd for a man of that age with a 17-year-old girl. The whole lunch business, there was a witness that came forward to the police and said on the day that Valerie disappeared, boss man, the guy who's been arrested, uh, said that he was going to uh, take her somewhere special to Indianapolis. But then he told police something else entirely. What did he tell them about that special lunch date with the 17-year-old neighbor? Well, they did meet up apparently in, Indian in Indianapolis. Then he dropped her off in a nearby town. It's Homer. It's about five miles away from Arlington. And then he said she got into a blue car with a mystery man. Why are you letting a 17-year-old go in a car with a mystery man? And then he moved her car. So it, it, it makes no sense. I mean, it, it's a terrible alibi. I mean, if, if he has special feelings for this girl, why are you going to let her get in a car with a 17-year-old? It, I mean, it's red flag well, after red flag, cool. Ashley. 
among other things. And then he's just mysteriously then seen driving her car away from an apartment building. I mean, every single piece of this is like you said. He almost just scribbled his name at the murder scene. Uh, Gigi, we'll keep an eye on it and see what transpires with this fella. But I don't think Patrick Scott has a lot of freedom in his, uh, in his future. Thanks for being on, as always. All right. Thanks, Ashley. Hey, and say hi to your grandma, Sarah, for me, Gigi. I know uh, she watches, so hi, Grandma Sarah. Okay, still to come. Case in Texas, and it has some sickening parallels to the story that we just talked about, Gigi and I. Um, A young woman goes missing in a small city. Family's worst nightmare is realized, but this story, this story has a bizarre twist that nobody saw coming. Who killed Amanda Stevenson and why? Police had a possible suspect, but they can't talk to him anymore. Because he put a gun to his head. Unless you think that answered all their questions, think again. The mystery is only growing larger after the break. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Amanda Stevenson disappeared 10 days ago in Victoria, Texas. That is just southwest of Houston. No clues no contact with her frantic family. She literally just seemed to vanish. Yesterday, police found a body in a creek, and Amanda's family has confirmed to News Nation that it was Amanda, who would have celebrated her 21st birthday just a few days ago. Understandably, the family is absolutely devastated. And making things worse is the agonizing search for answers. Who would have done this? Who would have killed Amanda? Police had a fantastic lead. An Uber driver named Kevin Bennettson, a married father of two who was known to give Amanda rides. And the officers had been questioning Bennettson. They even pulled him over to ask him a few more questions. But during that traffic stop, all holy hell broke loose. Bennettson pulled out a handgun and then shot himself to death. That was last Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. I want to get Caitlin Becker in here. She's the senior reporter with the Daily Mail. What do we know about Kevin Bennettson, this mystery person who we now can no longer question. Not a whole lot is known about this investigation, Ashley, but we do know, like you said, father of two, married, around 45 years old, working as a rideshare driver. Prior to this, for many years, he worked as an elementary school teacher and a substitute teacher, um, sometimes pre-kindergarten, sometimes third grade, fourth grade. But as of, I believe, 2022, according to records, he was no longer working for the school district. Why that is, we don't know. But for the time being, he was working as a rideshare driver, which is the connection that police and Stevenson's family believes is how these two knew each other. He's been called a known associate. And I think that wording is very specific. It's not a friend. It's not an acquaintance. It's not a colleague. It's a known associate. So it's someone that clearly she had interactions with, but maybe not on a really personal level. I get how Uber works, but I could imagine that her cell phone would yield a lot of information. What, what has the cell phone told us? 
And actually, police imagine that the cell phone will do exactly that, but it is password protected and no one seems to know her password. So what they've been working on is trying to get into her cell phone to see who she was communicating with in those days and hours leading up to her disappearance. And her family believes that she and this rideshare driver were together around the time she did disappear. So I know that her body's just been found. It's just been confirmed to us that that it was her. She was in a creek. But do we know at this early stage if they found any evidence with the body that might have actually given us some clues or at least led to someone? It's too early for police to have revealed any of that. An autopsy is being done. But I do know that around the time that that traffic stop happened when the rideshare driver took his own life, Police had searched his home not long before that. So I don't know if there was any connection there. And of course, we know that he used a gun to take his own life. We don't know the cause or manner of death here for this poor young woman. But my mind immediately went to if there could potentially be a match with that gun. Well, it's awfully suspicious, the timing of him uh, taking his own life. So, Caitlin, when you find out more about this, particularly when they start yielding some information about what the body tells them, definitely um, report back to us. Let us know what happens. Absolutely, Ashley. Caitlin Becker joining us. As always, love her reporting. Thank you for that. Coming up next, I would like you to take a very good look at this face. Do you remember her? You would have to. She was seemingly from central casting, linked to the vicious killing of the founder of the Cash App a few months back in San Francisco. Uh, It is a horrible case, tying together family and drugs and casual sex and murder. But tonight, this glamorous woman is being seen in a whole new light because she herself has come into some trouble. And she, like her brother, who's in a whole lot of trouble for that killing, uh, she may see jail time like he might. Full details next. She is the gorgeous and glamorous woman linking a murdered tech CEO with the man accused of stabbing him to death. Khazar Aliaznia. She's the sister of Nima Momeni. And Nima Momeni is the guy charged with murdering Bob Lee, the founder of the Cash App. That murder happened back in April. Uh, Lee and Momeni were reportedly fighting over Bob Lee's relationship with uh, Nemo Momeni's married sister, Hazar. So what has Hazar been up to lately since all that business happened? Uh, Turns out on Monday, San Francisco police picked her up in the Tenderloin District for allegedly driving under the influence um, and two counts of hit and run. First responders reportedly saw Hazar inhaling from so-called uh, whippet canister, which is the form of laughing gas. Police report that they found several whippets in her Mercedes. Hazar was booked into jail and reportedly bonded out. There's no word yet if she bumped into her brother there. He is not bonded out. Um, also, I want to tell you that uh, there were some weird things uh, seen in photographs from Nima Momeni in jail. Uh, some books, the Napoleon bio, and a psych textbook. He is smiling and crossing his arms for a photo inside the jail. So there's just odd stuff happening. And tomorrow night I'm going to have Larry Levine, founder of Wall Street Prison Consultants, on the show to talk to me a little bit about what those pictures